ethos. The reality is no matter what school I've been in, demographic, county, does not matter. Kids are tech flush, but skills starved. Okay. And when you think about it through that lens, um, that helped me adopt this courage to create vision that we implemented fully at Mount Pleasant. All right. Which was a holistic approach to getting kids to think as creators, not merely consumers of content. Welcome to the next simple step. I'm Paul Goldsmith. Dr. Ryan Jackson has served in both urban and rural schools as a teacher and a principal. He's given a TED Talk on how competition ignites educational success. He's now a keynote speaker and founder of Fit Leaders. Uh, so Dr. Uh, Jay, tell us a little bit about that. What uh, What is Fit Leaders? Man, Fit Leaders is an LLC I formed several years ago um, that ultimately kind of culminated into a leadership development lifestyle organization that really serves leaders nationwide, even globally, to live better in order to lead better. Okay. But it was birthed out of my attempt at the time to get sober. Um, you know, and that would then fully crystallize in a willingness to admit alcoholism and a predisposition towards alcoholism and using what started as just weightlifting to combat that. And was spending so much time at the gym, I can remember my wife at one point telling me, you know, you could probably do something with that. I mean, you're, you know, man, you're dedicating and sacrificing a lot of time for that. You know, maybe your story, maybe just your, your commitment, your sacrifice to this. We channel that in such a way. So I'm going to give her a ton of credit there for really just helping me channel that into an LLC that now helps people nationwide just, just get better, live, live better. And do you specifically help those that uh, are trying to come uh, overcome so, some sort of addiction, or is it just for leaders of all sorts? Yeah, it's, it's not really evangelical in that way, man. It's um, you know that that was just what it was for me at that time. Um, but these days, I mean, it really just centers more around you know sustainability and optimizing your leadership practices through how you take care of yourself. You know, we've kind of coined that now as self-care, right? But there was a time, and I'll even say it, you know, before fit leaders where in terms of leadership or really school, I mean, school leaders, especially um, like working out fitness, it was just taboo. You just didn't talk about it. You certainly didn't post pictures of yourself doing it or in the gym or anything like that. It was, it was just taboo. And we really crashed through that where now it is completely safe, totally um, appropriate, you know, to be in that space online and social media and have these networks and groups and fit leader orgs, you know, throughout states talking about how they're pushing themselves and sharpening themselves to be better. And yeah, I've noticed you've, if you follow on your Instagram, which is, uh, tell us everyone your handle there, because I think that's fascinating. Yeah, Fit Leaders Instagram, or I'm sorry, Instagram for myself is at Underdogs Advocate. And you really carry that as a as a brand, uh, the Underdogs. What what is it about that that you uh, that you embrace with being an Underdog Advocate? Oh man, that's 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 a layered, you know. But I'll 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 share as much as you want to hear. You know, I was born a, a redheaded stepchild, man, in Evansville, Indiana. Just had a tough upbringing. Um, again, had a father who who died early, um, you know, due to hard living. And 
I was one of those kids, man, who just the more I've reflected on it and got deeper into education, this would end up really inspiring my journey through education, who just did not have that good public school experience, which is why I can empathize with so many kids, so many parents who themselves didn't have that good experience. So by the time the recession in 07, 08 came about and I get into education, you know, um, properly, I'm teaching at that point. Man, I just made a made it a, a point of pride and commitment that I was going to try to do, you know, for kids and then ultimately families and a community what I would have wanted to happen for me, which is for someone to connect with me, for someone to help me perceive myself as belonging, whether to the school, to a class, to a club, whatever it was, I was going to be that for somebody. Um, and that sort of crystallized in this persona of the underdog's advocate. You know, I'm a, I'm a film guy. In fact, while I was an undergrad, I raised about $45,000 in capital to produce a feature film in Nashville. That's what brought me from Indiana to Tennessee. So I should only share that to say, you know, films were a big part of my world. There was a movie called The Devil's Advocate with Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino. Yeah. And I just always loved that name. And I just thought it just had an edge to it. You know, well, I wanted to be the underdog's advocate, right? Like, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes, uplift, encourage, you know, knock doors down for you, help you, you know, get over these obstacles, this adversity, these barriers. I was going to be that guy, man. I was going to do for people what I wish would have been done for me. Now, so fitness has been one thing for you that has helped you. What What is it else that you help when you're working with students to find motivation and, and really get on the right path? Man, that's that's a great question. Um, I would I would probably say my hallmark there is you know relationships in terms of education. Just the word you know build, building relationships has almost become kind of nouveau. It's it's a little even cliche, but the but the reality is, man, it's it's anchored in so much truth and power. You know, I take it back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which most people are somewhat familiar with. You know, he's got these rungs that you've got to work your way towards self-actualization, being our best. And right there in that middle, in the middle rung is love and belonging. You know, and, and Maslow kind of professed that without that, until you've met that need, you know, you're not going to hit efficacy. You're not going to feel capable. You're certainly not going to self-actualize. Well, in education, what do we do? I mean, especially when it comes to standardized testing, we expect kids to be their best. Man, we want you to do your best, perform your best. But if we're not meeting these rungs, if we're not making human beings feel connected, feel like they belong, it's uh, it's really tough to do that. So I think back to your question and one of my hallmarks is um, I go out of my way, man, to connect with people, you know, to, to listen, to hear their story and then work with them on you know, what their aptitudes are, man, what their, what their skill sets, what their strengths are. I'm really big on, you know, helping you develop your strengths instead of hammering your weaknesses. Man, we will manage those weaknesses, you know. And I'll give you an example, man. My son, you know, recently diagnosed with dyslexia, okay. And, you know, that's not going to be a, you know, that's, that's not going to be a crutch for us, man. It's not going to be crippling. It's, it's tough. We're going to work through the neurological pieces, through the mechanical pieces. But, man, that's not going to be something that holds us back terminally. You know, we're going to work through that. So we're going to manage that weakness. My son is very literal, man, mathematically focused, man. He's personable. He's social, gregarious, loves the, you know, loves to talk, to communicate. Man, we are going to play to those strengths while we manage this weakness over here. So same thing applies to education for way too long, man. And this is why I'm, I'm loving the new role that I'm in and what I get to do. 
but for way too long, man, we've hammered people for their weaknesses and made you feel, you know, less than, or even told you you either weren't good enough, or we sent you down a path where we knew you probably couldn't be successful down that road. But because this was expected of everyone, this is what we thought you should do. Men, instead, I'm trying to get a holistic picture of a human being and really identify what those strengths are and help you develop those. Long-winded answer, man. I know. I apologize about that, but I can get pretty turned up about that one. No, I love it. You're you're passionate and it's contagious. And so you were the 2021 Maury County, Tennessee Public School Principal of the Year in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. You've since moved on from that position. What is it you're doing now? Yeah, so I am now the Executive Director of Leadership and Business Partner Developments for Kids on Stage of Murray County, which is a nonprofit dedicated to closing the industry education gap and helping students take ownership of their journey, of their education journey at an earlier age. So really for the first time historically, certainly in Murray County, we're galvanizing the support of the business community to collaborate officially with public schools, closing that gap. You know, and it's, it's multi-layered. I mean, businesses, industries right now, now more than ever are just man, hurting for people, especially skilled trades people. You know, students now more than ever, man, are graduating with little to no purpose. You know, if you get into, uh, man, student loan debt crisis, you get into the number of dropout rates, you know, in post-secondary institutions or the number of kids that it's taking five to six years to complete that and then not finding meaningful work when they're done. You start to peel those layers pretty quickly. You can identify some areas where we can be a little bit more innovative and really provide help. So my role specifically right now is to continue to build this impressive board of directors that we have that are filled with industry CEOs and presidents, and then to engage back formally with Murray County Public Schools to start working in a new, innovative type of way. And that sounds uh, really exciting, but practically speaking, uh, education system gets a bad rap. We love teachers, but, you know, schools are thought of as these factories where we're cranking out kids in mass to just kind of move up through the levels. And I know you've differentiated yourself in that way. Tell me, how can we improve our schools? What, What can be done uh, on a local level to to help have more uh, empathy, to individualize the experience, to meet students where they're at? What can be done to change this massive system? Man, I think it's, you know, and, and first of all, you, you, you take it up one bite at a time. Um, you right. know, you can, you, can, you can certainly get overwhelmed. Um, you're dealing with a, you know, century plus old institution. And, you know, my, again, kind of hallmark or claim to fame was, I'm still working within that box. I mean, but I'm 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 pretty good at, at trying to expand and, and stretch, flex that box while I'm in it, and then look for opportunities. You know, I'm also a firm believer. I took a two week trip to China with Vanderbilt University several years ago, and my biggest takeaway there was how the Chinese view crisis. Okay, and the Chinese view crisis as danger meets opportunity. And it's the wise person that in the midst of this tempest, you know, this tornado, this storm can center themselves and sift through and find the opportunities. And there's so many opportunities, man. So especially even in chaos or crisis such as public ed. So when you kind of dig and look at it through that lens and just how many really cool people and cool kids, you know, want to help and want to be successful and need help. 
first of all, you approach it with that, right? You approach it with positive intent. You approach it with this attitude of empathy, which is something that you mentioned. Also want to go on record saying empathy is not an innate emotion. That has to be taught, right? So a big part of what I love to do was helping students articulate themselves, helping students receive messages from other students that they maybe had a beef, a historical beef, whatever it was, and not only listen to this person, but then be able to articulate how what they said made them feel and then counter that with how they want to express themselves. So I just had to digress there for a second, say empathy is a huge part of what needs to be happening more in school, certainly, you know, post pandemic. I mean, when there's been almost this veil of kind of nihilism, man, you know, kids don't know, well, we have school tomorrow, next month, who knows, is a new variant here. I mean, it's, it's really gotten to this point where we've got to help kids reduce the level of anxiety, man, that they're dealing with on a daily basis. Adults as well. I want to go back to your big overarching question there. You know, how are we, what's going to be the best approach, man, to kind of fix this particular system that we've had for a hundred plus years? And we've got to start taking a hard look, man, um, at, at this particular point. Right now, public schools, specifically public high schools, are only measured by higher ed standards. All right. So it's really a one path you know, one lane approach to educating all kids. We know, we now know the research is there, Tate is there, man. That does not work for everybody. So that blanket approach out the window for me. And I learned that really quickly, man, moving from inner city Nashville at Maplewood High School to rural Tennessee in Mount Pleasant, where you saw this intense passion from kids about skilled trades, you know, getting their hands dirty, man, mechanically minded, loving to work outdoors in the shop. All right. Again, back to my model. Let's play to your strengths. Then you start to see this intense, critical need from industry. Baby boomers retiring at 10,000 people a day. Industries literally cannot fill these positions. I mean, cannot fill them. We are epic borderline epic crisis levels. You know, meanwhile, we're graduating kids are being told we should be going to these four-year universities, even though I don't want to go to that four-year university. And really what I'm presenting in terms of standardized tests would advise that I don't go to four-year university, but we're not doing anything to prepare them for another path, for another journey. That's the big piece for me in terms of your approach. We've got to do a much better job and helping young people identify what their strengths are, what they're passionate about, and then feeding that along the way. And I believe we can start those aptitude and career interest inventory surveys as young as fifth grade. You know, a student may not know they want to be a welder or a fabricator in the fifth grade, but they certainly know what gets them excited about coming to school. And research would tell us kids start falling out of love with school in middle school. So we've really got to back this thing up instead of just waiting till a kid's a junior in high school and saying, hey, what do you think about this? Or what are your plans post-secondary? Man, we have got to grab that bull by the horns much earlier in their educational journey and then start presenting them with options, avenues, and pathways that are lucrative post-secondary that have absolutely nothing to do with college. Ooh, I love it. As a parent, man, I have one at each level, high school, middle school, and elementary, and they all have different personalities. What is a next simple step that a parent like me can take 
you know, with my seventh grader to figure out, uh, she doesn't know what she likes. Right. And every kid, you know, they like, they like their phone <laughs> and they like the, uh, you know, they might like playing video games, but like, yeah, where do you start in finding, you know, uh, an aptitude that, that might turn into a, a career path in the future? What's a simple step that, you know, parents can take? The reality is no matter what school I've been in, demographic, county, does not matter. Kids are tech flush, but skills starved. Okay. And when you think yeah. about it through that lens, um, that helped me adopt this courage to create vision that we implemented fully at Mount Pleasant. All right. Which was a holistic approach to getting kids to think as creators, not merely consumers of content. I mean, unfortunately, man, I'm going to take credit. I mean, I'm going to take blame here as well. I've been in public ed now approximately 17 years. I've been a part of the system. I've been a principal, a teacher, an assistant principal, dean of students, all that. And for far too long, I mean, certainly for an entire generation that I was a student and been in the system as an educator, I man, we teach kids to consume, man. We teach kids to consume information, regurgitate said information on a standardized test format, and then pretty much dump information that has parlayed into our addiction with cell phones, because all we do now is doom scroll. So all we're doing is consuming. We may find something cool. We dig a little bit deeper. But for the most part, man, we're just consuming information. I heard this from a tech guy recently who's who's in my neighborhood. He works for Cisco. He's got kids. And um, there was another parent. And he was like, man, um, this parent is not in public public school. But he talked about wanting to make sure that his kid had access to tech because he didn't want his kid to be behind. And this IT parent makes the point that pretty much anything a kid is going to get in terms of tech is just going to be interfacing, you know, with this consumer based product platform, whatever it is. You know, if you're talking about getting ahead in tech in terms of creating, coding, developing, whatever that looks like, that's a whole different beast, man, for the most part. We teach kids how to consume. And man, if I'm going to combat anything, I want to teach kids how to create, which is why the arts are incredibly imperative for schools, which is why our CTE programs, career and technical education programs and pathways are imperative for schools, which is why getting kids involved in experiential problem-based or project-based learning is imperative for schools. We have got to kids get kids thinking and doing as creators, man, instead of just consumers of content. The last question for me is, I know it's a tough time being a teacher, as you said, with all the unpredictability. They've they've got a lot of their hands tied behind their back on some of the, the policies and the procedures, what they can and can't do. Um, how can we uh, better encourage uh, teachers? Man, and, you know, full disclosure, my wife is a teacher, um, has been a teacher, you know, longer than I've been in, in uh, education. She's awesome, man. And Leticia Skay Jackson, they call her Skay J. She works at Independence High School in Wilco. She's taught in uh, Duval County, Jacksonville, Florida, largest county in the United States. Um, I mean, she's taught in Metro Nashville, Murray County, now Williamson County, the most affluent county in the state. And, and I share that story because, you know, when she transitioned into Wilco a couple of years ago, I remember there being this feeling of like, you know, she made it right. She she made it. <laughs> she arrived. Big, yeah, man, she <laughs> arrived. Like, you know, we've man, we've taught here. We've taught here. But now, man, mm-hmm. we're here. And it didn't take too long in that new journey to realize pretty quickly that, 
man, it, it still has a lot of embedded ch- similar challenges, man. Um, kids you know, are parents, kids. You know, the parents and the feeling and the, and the families may be a little bit more affluent, but ultimately that means that they, they write better and they email more. Okay. And then they're usually spicy. So <laughs> it's always just going to be something, man. You know, it's, it's always when you're dealing with teachers. And this is another big part of my keynote. I mean, teachers are a massive underdog in this country. You know, the, the percentage, the 35% decrease in teacher ed prep programs, you know, that's happening, you know, coupled with the percentage of teachers that are just considering retirement mid-year, I mean, is at this all-time high. I think we have to continue to not only support our teachers, but affirm the work they're doing. I mean, man, this is noble work, you know, that you're talking about so many sacrifices, both time and financial for a lot of our teachers because they're giving personally, you know, to their schools, to their classes. So I just think this, man, this era of respect, you know, courtesy, you know, that nobility piece, we have to somehow, and I don't mean it to sound just like rhetoric or platitude, I mean, we have to continue, man, to pay homage to these people who are literally on the front line every single day trying to better our community for these kids to have, you know, free access to a, to a, to a high quality public education, man, tip, tip your hat to them at the very least, show them some love, you know, outside of that, man, just trying to get politicians to stay as much out of their business as, as much as they can, you know, and that's, that's heavy handed, man, you know, it's, it's going to be a reality, but I think just, just at least exposing it for what it is, man, that at times it can do more damage than good for sure. Cool. Thanks, Dr. J. Appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the next Simple Step podcast. And I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. God bless. We'll see you soon. Likewise. Thanks, Paul.